I'm Kathy Bird, host of the new Fresh Art International show on Jolt Radio, Miami. This radio show expands on conversations about creativity that I've been recording with contemporary artists, curators, filmmakers, and architects since 2011 for the Fresh Art International podcast. Today is September 8, 2016. For three days this week, we're live streaming on joltradio.org from inside the Exhibition Pavilion at the 32nd Sao Paulo Biennial in Brazil. Our final show features sound artist Vivian Kakuri of Brazil and Yvette Matumba and Julia Grossa of Germany, editors of Contemporary And, an online platform for contemporary art with African perspectives. Our final guest is Brazilian artist Jorge Mena Barreto. He's the director of Restauro, a creative dining experience inside the Biennial Pavilion. I'm Kathy Bird with Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio in Miami. We're broadcasting live for the third day and the last day, and I'm very lucky to have a visitor here, Vivian Kakuri. Yes. <laughs> well pronounced? Yeah, that's exactly that. Vivian Kakuri. Thank, thanks for inviting me. Oh, I really like uh, participating in radio shows. This is something that I especially like, to be blind for a while. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what I love about radio, because yeah. the voice carries it all. Exactly. The voice and the sounds we're going to be sharing today, which is super exciting for me. It's the first show I've been able to do with sound effects, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So Vivian is an artist that's from Sao, Sao Paulo, I'm learning how to pronounce that mm-hmm. word, based in Rio. Yes, that's it. And her work revolves around sound. She even has a work called A Silent Walk. Yeah, it's about uh, not speaking, actually. So uh, usually people ask me if that's uh, some sort of a group meditation, and I'm totally against that kind of idea because what I do with The Silent Walk is just to open up space for people to get dirty with sound and not... Um, to eliminate uh, sound or, uh, um, yes. So I love that, get dirty with sound. Yes. <laughs> Just to take it all in from all angles yes. and not try to stop it. It can be a bit exhausting, but it can be very rich as well. It looked fascinating. I wish <laughs> I was here long enough to do that with you. But I'm happy to be here today to talk about your work, what what your work, uh, what you're trying to communicate with sound as your vehicle. Tell me. Uh, here in, at the Biennale, I have a sound system. Um, it's part of a research with a public space that uh, I've been working with uh, since 2012. And I had an idea of building an altar for the base that I consider the base uh, a divine, the divine part of sound, of music. Uh, especially for the genres that came from diaspora. So a lot of genres came from Africa and mixed up with uh, local genres in Brazil and uh, the Americas. So we have the ocean being a place of encounter, musical encounter. And bass is a, it's an element that is common in, this, uh, in these genres. Every Atlantic genre has a, a very pronounced bass. So I wanted to be, build an altar for this divinity. And 
uh, I was waiting for the right moment to build it, and the Biennale was the right moment to to, to build this idea. It's a gorgeous place, uh, space. She has a room that's open on three sides, actually, some way the sound mm -hmm. comes out. And uh, let's, before we describe the piece itself, uh -huh. let's talk about where you captured some of the sounds that you're working with in this biennial project. Uh, you went and on a residency to Ghana. Exactly. So I, I had the, uh, the altar idea, but I didn't have the sounds uh, for, you know, for this subwoofer sound system to play. So when I was invited to go to Africa for the first time, to Ghana, um, I, I imagined that that was the place where I would find the sounds. But I didn't know that it, was, it would be music. Uh, uh, music. I thought if it would be a mixture of... Uh, recordings with live field recordings with music and but once I got it to Accra which is the, the most the warmest place I've ever been to and I've, I've been already to the Amazon and places like that are extremely warm and humid um, I was walking on the streets and listening to Azonto which is a very popular genre in Accra and in the sound systems that are mostly everywhere in Jamestown, the area where I was at. And I fell in love with this, with this music, which is absolutely danceable and nice and um, pleasant. And yet it's kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of, you feel brave like listening to it because there is this drum uh, rhythm, this, this rhythm that makes you go forward. So I felt that, you know, when we are in Brazil, we have a lot of um, Afro-Brazilian um, Afro-Brazilian mixtures in our in our music, and somehow that music in Africa is familiar. What I was, you know, it was familiar with what we have in Brazil, but uh, at the same time, it's exotic and it's something that I felt completely ignorant. So I decided to get to know these music producers better. So I started visiting everyone with the help of this extremely talented, amazing, crazy artist called One Love. He's amazing and he hooked me up with everyone. <laughs> so I thank him for this work because I managed to invite 10 artists to compose bass lines for the altar that I called Tabon Bass. Yes, let's talk about the title, Tabon <laughs> Bass. I was reading the story, it's fascinating, uh, having to do with a slave uprising in South America, uh, yeah. in Salvador in 1835, where uh, the descendants returned to Ghana. Yeah. Uh, after, after the, we call it the riot of the Malays, uh, it was a riot where a few Muslim uh, slaves, uh, they, were, they were fighting for just being Muslim, but it was the interest of government to get rid of these people, and they also wanted to go back to Africa, part of them. So they got back to Ghana. Back is, uh, you know, it's, it's not right to say back because they were mostly Brazilians. Yeah. A few, few of them were Africans, so they were Brazilians already, but uh, Ghana... But they were slaves, so... They were, yeah, ex-slaves, and Ghana hosted them very well, 
They uh, because they had a lot of techniques that they didn't have that wasn't present already in uh, Ghana. What kind of skills? Uh, they could about? build two-story houses and forge gold and irrigation and uh, things that they learned from the Portuguese and they applied in the you know in the slavery in their slaved work uh, but then you know most of them are very rich now what I heard is they are up middle class kind of people but they were not there anymore when I went there but um, the architecture that they built remained and it's a brutal brutal place because it's it was built by the slavery market wow. so a lot of um, you know twi um, twist twisted stories things that you would never expect but the interesting the name of your project is based on how they communicated when they arrived and didn't speak the local languages yes so people were asking them oh do you want that or do you want to go with uh, I don't know. For for every answer, they for every question, they answered tabon, which means okay, okay, okay. So it's tabon, tabon, tabon. So they were named the tabon people. So and you know they were they were crossing the ocean. The tabon people crossed the ocean, and I felt that this was um, like a rail that they built in history, and I wanted to just uh, uh, use it again. You know, so uh, to do a neo rail <laughs> and to cross again the ocean that way. So I decided to name my altar the Tabong Base. So I'm, you know, I'm uh, referring to, to the Tabong through the way that they, uh, they crossed through the ocean. Yeah. So the, the altarpiece curves toward the audience. Yeah. Uh, a stacked speakers and mm -hmm. Several of the speakers have a special device mounted to them. Yeah, so they are, uh, they are not exactly how sound systems are traditionally set up on the street because they are like a big wall and they, because they have to be locked so they will not fall apart with sound. Uh, and my piece is more like, a, like an embrace. It's a semicircle and they, it's completely black and they are kind of rusty, rustic kind of wood and black. And in front of the speakers, I, I placed three candles. And as the subwoofers, the, the, um, the, box, the speaker boxes that are able to, um, uh, to, to emit this, this very low frequency, they, you know, they, um, the subwoofers, they uh, move the air. So the candles are pulsating with the sound. The flames are dancing with the rhythm. Um, and for me, this is a celebration of this encounter of Ghana and Brazil. And yes, and I have a special story of how I went, I, you know, I got this, this form and also the candles. <laughs> yes, the candles uh, waver uh, when the sound comes yes. through. I, I decided to, uh, to use candles and to make this semicircle while I was uh, visiting a few religious leaders that I wanted to meet. And, uh, you know, because we have the Afro-Brazilian religions and I felt it was interesting to see how things were done uh, in Ghana, how different they were. 
So I had a very nice guide called Samwa that took me everywhere, including in his mother's uh, house. It's not mothers, it's like in the plural. So he has, I don't know, six mothers. And then uh, he took me to Numo Mensa Aqua, who is the, the chief of the Ga religion. And, you know, I was just telling this story for him that I wanted to build a, a base, uh, a altar, an altar for the base, and it would be a place of encounter of the Ghanaian and the Brazilian. And I just asked, me, asked him, oh, how do you think I should build it? What's the form that is, do you think it's more interesting? How do you usually, you know, set up for a meeting of different people? So we were just changing, exchanging ideas and discussing, and we created the form together. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I would love now to hear some of the sounds that you collected yeah. in Ghana. So, uh, Tell us I, what we'll hear first. I have this, uh, this producer, amazing musician called Kuvi, and I went to his studio. It's a very large studio in, um, in a very, I don't know, far place in, uh, in Accra, and he's amazing, and he's one of the artists that is composing bass lines for the altar for Tabon Bass. So I'm going to play this, um, this track called uh, Aie, uh, feeding Sarkodi, which is one of the biggest uh, pop, pop singers in Accra. Wait, wait. For no first minute, na me share chin chimi. No ho abubo konya o shishitin timi. Obiye juden so ame do ma minti bi. Papa wo ana ne wumpo mani finger tibi. Fresh boy, men kase debi ane bonyo. Me tempum ban, ni hema ide omo. Yolo one na ne girls ni anye kolo. Perfume ashe na mani pa ashe shadow obolo. Papi kujo ame de men sasada. I'm a stand up guy in cement sinada. Ya me di mu musude men chiyada. Mumbo bianti men chiyada. What? Shena mam. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's very exciting because the, so the sounds are very soft and extremely clean. They are not uh, overcharged with distortion or effects. And that's what called my attention on the first time that I saw a producer producing, actually producing these beats. So, because in Brazil we are very used to a very distorted kind of sound. Uh, I think that's to blame, uh, that's rock and roll to blame because we had a very, you know, a very consistent s history with rock and roll in Brazil. And that's not exactly the case in, uh, in Ghana. It's different. They had a different kind of musicology, a history of music there. So it's so clean and beautiful. And I just uh, invited him to compose these bass lines and on the first note that I, I listened uh, of, you know, Kuvi's beats on my sound system, I was like, okay, I don't have to do anything with it. I don't have to treat it. I don't have to clean it. It's perfect. It's made for that. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. And those sounds, uh, the bass line, is what some local musicians will be responding to, DJs and local musicians, this Saturday night here in Sao Paulo. Exactly. In, in, the, in the pavilion here. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to had a, to um, set up a situation where Brazilians would respond to these bass lines. Because once you're listening to bass lines, there is an incompleteness to the sound. It's incomplete sound. So I wanted to, 
do an intermix of, uh, you know, of sound. So to provoke uh, a, a mixture of Africa and Brazil once again. <laughs> so I invited Brazilian producers to add their own beats and sounds to the African bass. So that's going to happen this Saturday. And this Saturday it, I'm featuring Omolu, and, uh, who is um, a very well-known DJ in Rio. Uh, and then Mafalda, this 20-year-old uh, boy who is extremely talented and in one year he built his career. And, uh, and this girl, amazing girl, uh, called Bad Sista, she's also playing. And I will show some of um, Omulu's, Omulu's sounds. Uh, it's a track called Fudunsu. is very used to baile funk and uh, mixing that with local instruments and Brazilian instruments and I think that he would do something fantastic with uh, the Ghanaian bass he will add the Brazilian instruments and beats and patterns so I'm, I'm very excited and uh, looking forward to what they are going to come up with me too. It sounds like you'll be creating with them some a completely new form of yeah. music for people to hear. Yeah, I'm trying to to find this new genre that doesn't exist. So that's, I think you're doing it. We are trying to see what what will come out. <laughs> Let's yes. see if we, we get a new genre. <laughs> yes, sounds perfect. I look forward to hearing from you after and sharing it with our listeners. Okay. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks for having me. You've been listening with to Kathy Bird with Vivian Kakuri from. Uh, Sao Paulo, who's based in Rio. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Our next guests are walking up as we speak, and they are Yvette Matumba and Julia Grossa from Germany. And I have just started a new relationship with them in the last few months. I only have one mic, so we'll do this. Um, Yvette and Julia produce an incredible online platform and uh, they cover contemporary art from African perspectives and I'm really thrilled because a few months ago we started talking about Fresh Art International producing a podcast series, uh, a, f a series of episodes uh, that they could publish on their platform and they said sure. So here we are. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, Hi, thanks for inviting us. <laughs> Thank you. And I asked them to come today specifically because uh, in relation to this biennial, they, are, they have produced a new publication, a new print publication titled Points of View. And uh, it's about art from Afro-Brazilian perspectives. 
in particular. And I invited them to come and talk to you about this project and how it's turned out. Um, yeah, so this is Yvette, just that you know who's speaking. <laughs> um, I'm going to pass over the mic to Julianne a bit. Um, so yeah, we've produced a print issue like in a newspaper format. That's what we've been starting doing like um, about three years ago. Um, and we bring out these print issues always on specific occasions. Um, so there's not a, like, a regularity like every three months or something like that. And so this occasion was um, the biennial. But it comes from a long-term relationship we have with a Sao Paulo-based culture magazine called Omenelik um, Ato. And it's a magazine that's um, run by um, Afro-Brazilian cultural producers um, here in Sao Paulo. And the title of that magazine is actually referencing a magazine from the 1920s, which was specifically also looking into black culture in Brazil. And um, we met them first already two years ago um, during the last biennial and um, since then have been in conversation uh, about the different ideas, debates, concerns that um, connect um, yeah, the different diasporas that we are kind of interested in and wanting to give a platform to on contemporary end. And it might seem obvious, but we hadn't really, really looked into it um, so intensely, um, basically because we had a focus on the African continent and the diaspora in, in Europe and the US, but it's like, of course the Black Atlantic that connects um, that diaspora also. And so through these conversations we started to do different interviews, um, also online, and then the, now the final product is that um, newsprint in collaboration with them that's now here in, in Sao Paulo. It's beautiful. And just to remind our listeners, I am broadcasting live on Jolt Radio based in Miami. It's an online station, joltradio.org. If you're listening, you already know that, but please share with your friends. And now we're going to hear from Julia a little mo more about this new publication. Yeah, so, um, um, you know, the publication now <coughs> being um, distributed here at uh, the Biennale, um, you know, it took a long way, in a way, physically, because, you know, we printed it in, in Berlin and then um, shipped it to uh, Brazil, which is, which is great because... Um, you know, it's important that, you know, readers from, you know, African perspectives in Brazil and um, the black art scene here, you know, um, gets to know about us and what we do, obviously. And um, the issue itself is, you know, a mix of topics related to, you know, artists in African cities. For example, um, um, we have an interview with um, Helen Zibidi, a very like an icon painter from South Africa and she uh, is represented here um, with two of her yeah, really major works, large-scale works. Um, we have an interview with um, Lucia Namo from Zimbabwe um, who had a residency in Salvador um, for the last, during the last month and in Sao Paulo and she speaks about her relation as an you know, African artist, African artists being in Brazil and um, the relation of the, the two art scenes, etc. So um, to make this connection, you know, and ask young and older, you know, established artists about, you know, their relation and their experiences was really important to us. Uh, another story was we, um, you know, created a kind of, or invited three collectives um, from Bolivia and from Zimbabwe again. To, um, to a round table to talk about their, you know, their idea of, you know, working in collectives creatively, etc. That was a, you know, um, 
a very good interview as well and a really I don't know very creative come out if you turn out turn out so yeah it was a good mix of interviews and and features we have one feature like a historical feature looking back um, talking about um, um, uh, one of the biggest um, festivals in Africa like a culture festival from the 70s right 70s um, where black Brazil or Brazilian artists were invited and especially the black Brazilians were kind of excluded so it was you know of course um, a big scandal and um, um, within the black community obviously so we have this kind of historical input as well so it's a it's a nice mix sounds really interesting yes. I'm, I'm curious I thought maybe we could maybe zero in on one of the articles and maybe talk about it and the one that stood out for me was uh, because we've been hearing so much protest here this week against the Brazilian government by artists I thought this uh, cultural resistance of the three collectives what what were some like main points that came of that conversation with the members of the collective about how they engage in their communities? Mm, I think what they all have in common that it's important for them that they are beyond structures like institutions in that sense so that they can act autonomously. Um, that's one aspect. I think then also working in a collective or collaboratively is also something that is empowering in a way than obviously working just as an artist on yourself. I mean, I think all of them are, have also their careers at um, individuals, of course, but just gathering um, the energies or the synergies, I think, is something that is um, really important to them. And I think also that all of them, maybe even more the, the village UNU from Zimbabwe, but also the others, um, see culture really as a, as a tool to be political so they see it really as another way of um, transforming a message or to you know point at things that are difficult and in their system they're living in and they're all living in highly complex and um, difficult political systems so it's that's also what's you know specific to them than other than talking maybe to a collective based in, in Holland or Germany of course we have our issues too I'm not saying that but it's very it's a very different kind of uh, context and so that's also why I think we were interested in bringing them together to see where there are like, of course differences in the context but also that there are these main things that connect their ideas and, and, and their debates or the struggles also they're going through and you know starting also from funding and all these things that come along um, to be able to set up these kind of um, groups and collectives and spaces and to be sustainable in a way that it continues beyond maybe a workshop or like one project or that's possibly one of the hardest things really. And um, um, to add this detail um, uh, one of the collectives um, um, their translated name was was it room for doubts room for doubts mm -hmm. huh yeah and they I love that yeah that's good eh? that's, that's a, a great, great title super yeah. great and they they of course uh, super ref reflected and they for example when we uh, interviewed them they came up with um you know there was no name really you know they one of them answered and we said okay which name should we include and they said oh in a way you know for us it doesn't make sense to 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 find, you know, to focus on one one of us or you know one name because uh, for us the you know destruction of hierarchy is so important to us. So in a way, we we take this idea of the collective that serious that you know not a single name is interested. Interesting, it's just it's just us. So and that was really so. We said, okay, then it's it's, it's us. Then it's 
you know, then it's just their collective name, but not, you know, not an interview with one particular person. And we, we like that, you know, this, uh, this bit radical, but um, yeah, strong point. One of the groups that I spoke with a couple of days ago, the OB Viva Poro Viva Paro, the, the group that does the mobile devices. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, when yeah. I asked them to introduce themselves, they all together shouted their yes. name. This is, yeah, that's the idea. They didn't really want to have individual identities. Yeah, yeah, that's they, the same yeah. approach in a way. Yeah? I yeah. love that. Yeah. So what have you discovered that you want to do beyond the biennial here in your relationship with Brazil? Do you have um, ideas for how you continue? Yeah, the good thing is that, as Yvette mentioned already, we have, um, you know, built such a nice and are still in the middle of building such a nice network with collectives and people and um, networks here. And um, in a way, the scene is big, but on the other hand, everybody knows everybody. And, you know, um, once we got friends with one collective, they introduced us to another. And so the network is getting, you know, richer and ri richer and richer, which is really great for us. And so... The idea is really to um, to strengthen that you know relation between Africa or African cities, uh, artists working in African cities, and um, you know the black art scene here, and um, yeah, to just show our readers as well what what is all going on here, and it's so much. Yeah, we're just at the beginning, but yeah, it's still a lot to do. Yeah, and I think um, it's also really um, interesting to see that the texts that we have published so far also online have an enormous high readership. Ah, so we can mm, see the clicks. Fantastic. And so we can see that there's really also a really very strong interest in these texts. I mean, already two years ago was the first text of Atami Nolo that we published, which was about these connections between South America and Africa and the diaspora in between. And so um, you can also see that there is really also this high interest um, but there are not yet these platforms that connect this interest, which is, I, I think, vice versa. So it's from the African continent, but also the diaspora in Europe and the US, and also, yeah, the black scene or the Afro-Brazilian or Afro-South American um, scene that is interested and um, that does not know as much about each other as one might maybe yeah. think. And so this is really for us um, the motivation to just put out more interviews and texts that address all the issues and um, to see where there are the connections. And I mean, that can also at some point go beyond Brazil. So this is just because it was kind of a personal network we were building, but um, there are so many other things happening in Colombia or Mexico. And so this is definitely something we are also looking into because it's... Yeah, I mean, there's so many things happening which seem to be also just starting in a way that they become more visible. Not that they have been there for a while, but that they're more visible. And so it's, yeah, that's something in the long run, certainly also something that's interesting to us. And I think based on our own experience, just myself as a journalist and yours as well, that the coverage of art from this region is not as as significant as other regions of the world, certainly European and, and American or U.S. art is Absolutely. so much more covered. And so I find when I do episodes with artists from places that people don't know, there are a lot of people from those places that want to hear their yeah. own voices. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're eager to 
feel recognized yeah. as a community of artists and curators and cultural producers. Definitely. Yeah. We, uh, I, I feel like it's just a really important role that we have to play, but also something we're obviously all very passionate about. Mm. Yes. So that makes it really exciting. Yeah. And I wanted to thank you since we're here on Joel Radio and I'm live and I can meet you in person again about the opportunity to be producing episodes for you because uh, I produced one with Anawana Haloba, an artist from Zambia who's based in Norway, and then one that's published today with Dana Kukama, an artist based in South Africa. And yes, it's up on my site, but I was rushing over here to get set up, and I haven't mm -hmm. sent it to your colleague yet to post on your site, but it will be posted today. Super. But it's, oh, it's there. It's there. And what's really cool is I recorded with Donna before she came, and the one that I focused on with her was the one in the cemetery. So Super. on the post, I'm that's able to, yeah. to include images from last night. That's uh, perfect. So that's pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm thrilled about that's that. So much, and yeah. uh, and it's it was happy. an amazing performance yesterday. It was so, so poignant. Yeah. How could we describe it? It, it? I was hoping she would not be too exhausted to come back today and talk about how it, the experience of it. But I, I think I'll have her just call in at some point and yeah. talk mm -hmm. to her about it. But it was um, when she talked about it on the preview, she didn't reveal exactly how it would unfold. Yeah, she talked cool. about um, the uh, undocumented slaves that were is that uh, the undocumented slaves that were in the cemetery and then you saw of course as the uh, performance unfolded that she was accounting for them for the first time yes which was just stunning and just especially the woman there was one woman counting the number of undocumented people yes. buried there is what I assumed was going on because I knew the backstory. Mm -hmm. I don't know if everyone knew what was happening but as she as she recited numbers as the numbers grew she became more and more emotional as she spoke the numbers and it was it was riveting in its way just to hear numbers you wouldn't expect it but but it counting uh mark making and remembering yes it was yes. gorgeous yes it was absolutely yeah i'm supposed to have one more guest arriving uh but I think that, is there any other thing that you would like to, well, let's talk about where you're going from here. What's next for Contemporary Anne? Do you have something? I mean, when I met you in March, you had just done a publication. You were doing a huge uh, exhibition in New York mm -hmm. as part of the Armory Show, African Perspectives there, which was a gold mine for me of conversations with African artists um, or artists that were from Africa and conversations that I've been able to start sharing as episodes but um and they had just produced you just produced a newspaper a print publication for that as well yes. with yes. your interviews yes so what's your next project um i think the the biggest project coming up is that we um have been lucky enough to be able to continue our critical writing workshops we started one in lagos last year and um that has been something we wanted to do for a really long time to just be able to yeah contribute to the networks of younger writers on the continent in Africa because there's still a lack of support for young writers and it's in a way also a kind of egoistic thing because we're interested in having more as much as um, possible uh, young writers uh, writing for us 
And so um, we are, uh, the idea is not to only do workshops, which is something you do it like two or three days and then it's like, okay, um, that's nice that you came, but then um, we never see you again. And then kind of these young people are kind of, you know, it's like gone. And so we always wanted to also continue with the mentoring program where you have tutors that um, yeah, work with young writers that are interested in that over a long run and then they get the possibility also to publish on CNN or we try to you know, connect them with other publications to publish and so on. And so we got a funding from the Ford Foundation for two years um, to do that. Um, and so we're going to do four workshops in four different African cities, um, all followed up by a year-long uh, mentoring program with um, tutors and these tutors will be um, senior writers and editors from Africa but also internationally. So and then the first step is in Nairobi uh, beginning of this year. Nairobi? Yes. That's the first workshop. Yeah, no, not, yes, exactly, but beginning of December. Sorry, I did say beginning of this year. So, yeah, that will be the first workshop and then there will three to follow. Yes. So we're very much looking forward to that. Do you have any biennials that you're going to head for coming up? Um, uh, I know Dakar was earlier this year yes, and you were there. I mean, they are like the Kampala Biennial is running just as we speak. So we are, have a media partnership with them. And so we will show, you know, we did some interviews with artists also from the Kampala Biennial and um, we'll show installation views. So that's happening right now. But I think um, for this year, there are no more biennials. There might be um, an other art fairs which we will, in one way or the other, feature on Contemporary End. So there will be X Lagos in, um, in Lagos. It's a Nigerian new art fair, the first um, one that will be starting this year. So we will kind of also be um, yeah, supporting that through mentioning it on Contemporary End. But... I think then the year's already nearly over and then it, it all starts again. So This is a big yes. year. And next year there's all the trifecta yes. with Documenta. And this how will you participate in that? Or do you get involved with Munster Sculpture yeah. Project and, and Venice? And all, all that's coming around next yeah, it's year. It's a big Istanbul. European extravaganza. Yeah, we have yeah, to yeah. just stay for a month over there. I'll have to... Yes come visit you yeah, in, you in Berlin a, and Frankfurt. It's a European oh. trip, right? Yeah. I guess you forgot the, um, in, uh, in Münster, the sculpture That's project. it. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. Sorry. It, Münster yeah, Sculpture, is, Documenta, Venice, Istanbul. Art Basel. And Art Basel. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I haven't been to the Art Basel Basel. Oh, no. I've only oh, been to go. the Art Basel Miami it's, Beach. It's, it's so different. It's, it's very, it's very, very different. Yeah. Very classy and... Yeah, yeah, conservative you know what? but great, yes. Conservative good food, but great. Good food. We were going to talk about that. You might be coming to Miami this year. Yes, might be. Thinking might about be. it. Yes. We're in, right now we're involved in their um, uh, magazine, you know, their, their um, Art Basel mm -hmm. Miami magazine, because they have this focus on, you know, presenting the young new voices from African perspectives and ask us and other curators uh, really? to That's kind the of feature this year is one uh -huh. of the features, yeah, to nominate like uh, yeah, the favorite three. Each of us is, you know, presenting yeah, our names still. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. Do we know? We can't tell. When well, will it be revealed? Yeah. Yeah, no. because it's no, it's it not revealed yet. Right. Yeah, it's still a secret. You know? Ooh. We'll be published. Have you have you got some great great names? Of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's a very personal... Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, of course, a very personal thing. Um, yeah. But I think they're all artists that um, are worth 
being mentioned and um, so we think it's, it's good to have them on the map uh, in Miami in that to that way so yeah it was nice that they asked us and just yeah. to give an assessment like really briefly it's not a long thing but just to give yeah. us um, yeah our ideas on the whole topic so I love it yeah. well you you really came to light for the American public when you came to the armory show yeah. I think mm. I mean I I, I learned yes. about you in the process of that yeah. studying up for that armory show and figuring <laughs> out what I wanted to see and I spent all my time in your section yeah. I know yeah, we know from you know Google Analytics that most of our readers come in fact from the US followed by you know several African countries uh, Europe as well uh, London Berlin etc but um, we have a lot of readers in the US and so we thought armory is a perfect you know event to finally you know enter the scene physically and present what we do and as I say it made a big impact and we got a still get a lot of feedback from from March to be honest it's still a big um, made it different that you know we were there and you know yeah and um, yeah you know to meet um, to meet the people from Ford in person as well made a you know big difference for us as well so oh yes <laughs> and um Let's see. So next year is going to be exciting. And uh, to come back to your question, we're, of course, planning to do something during doc Documenta, Venice, etc. But this is still, um, you know, still in process. In and so and in we progress, can't yes. really talk yeah. about but it. But we're doing something. Um, yes. yes. So uh, you, one, you'll hear about it. <laughs> boring. So Yes. Good. Well, just give me my assignment. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, we're looking forward to more, you know, podcasts. I know. I know it's just the We've beginning. We've just got to talk about what we want to do next. Yeah. But this was a perfect way to start, I yeah, think, yeah. this biennial. Previous. And they have, because it's nice that, you know, in, within the magazine, at least, they have this focus on African perspectives, which is nice. I'm not sure if they have the focus, a, slight, a little focus during the, the fair in Miami. I don't know. but I'm not sure. Um, I think uh, there should be They must be. Something, uh. They must be. Yeah. Maybe not like a, you know, not like army, like a regional focus, but maybe, I don't know, um, something. So right. let's see. We will see. Okay. Well, I'm Kathy Bird, broadcasting live from the Sao Paulo Biennial on Jolt Radio with Yvette Matumba and Julia Grosse. Grosse, yes. <laughs> I'm saying it right. Thanks. I'm working on all my pronunciation. The <laughs> Perfect. Sao Paulo. What uh, about the show... Uh, let me just. Um, what what have you found in the biennial about how it's designed? You've been to the biennial last time, yes. and this year the curator is Johann Volz, and he has a particular aesthetic for how the space should be arranged. And I wonder if that is evident that the idea of the garden as a non-hierarchical open space with very few uh, closed spaces, except for video, where you have to have it. Um, what's your impression of, of how how this reads compared to the last biennial since you were here? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it works. I like it a lot. I think it's really um, the openness that they wanted to trans, you know, transmit. It, it is like really um, tangible because, I mean, I was saying earlier 
that actually you don't really feel that they have so many artists in this exhibition. I mean, it's like 80 artists and often what happens in biennials is that there are so many works that after half of it you're kind of overwhelmed and you don't even remember what you've seen two seconds ago. And I, I really think it's a, quite an achievement with this biennial that this doesn't really happen. So you walk through it and I guess because the works are all quite big installations so they have based breeze in a way and so I didn't find um, I think maybe for the first time going through biennial where I didn't feel like uh, it's like just too much or it's just like I was really enjoying walking through it and of course there are works that one likes more and there are other works where one maybe thinks it doesn't really fit into the concept I guess that's normal it's like the sub subjectivity of you know seeing things but in the whole I think um, this idea works and I also think it's a very coherent in a biennial in the sense that um, you see the thread they were following, like the narrative of ecologies, cosmologies, indigenous cultures and traditions, and they're really stuck to it, which is also often, I, I guess, with these huge show not, shows, not the case, that maybe they have a theme, but then there can be a tendency that it falls off a bit, and um, I think they're really, yeah, were really quite straightforward in that sense, that the works, although you had like all these different curators giving their input, um, you still have this kind of coherence that um, ties together the whole, the whole biennial, I think. Right. I love how the projects relate to the outdoors. To the, Some of the projects really connect literally yeah. to the outdoors, to the park. And then there's a juxtaposition of like the poli political action collective next to the indigenous uh, yeah. video projections. Yes. Yes. And all of that, the, the acknowledgement of the history that's behind the current movements and I think that's very well achieved here. Yes. Or for example, the last biennial we we saw was the Berlin Biennial, which is completely the opposite of what we see here. You know, this is maybe I don't know five percent video, and that was I don't know maybe eighty percent video. You see, literally crafted things, not crafted, but things made, the made. haptic things. Making. Yeah, they were yes. made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, not in a studio, maybe in a studio, but um, you know, three-dimensional work. A lot of yeah, sculpture. A lot of uh, the colors alone. The colors are so you know, it, it's a horrible word, but it's you know, a lot of brown involved. A lot of um, what in Germany? Or no, here? no, here in the, in the Bayern, a lot a of a lot of earth, know, earthy. Yeah, earthy, earthy is feeling. a horrible word, but you <laughs> know, a lot of uh, non-synthetic colors involved. A lot of it's it has a different, of course, completely different feel, and it but it's great and we, we were thinking about if people would you know walk the show and maybe think about um, I don't know icons such as Magician de la Terre you know the big oh, show yes. of, we're, we're sure some people you know had this in their minds when Magicians they walked especially of the Earth was yes. a major major exhibition yes. where a lot of uh, visionary artists yes. from Africa were yes. coming together and, you know for, for the years exhibition. people didn't dare to show th something like that and, and you know this is this, it's a uh, uh, it's a great approach. It's, uh, you know, it's an. I think a lot of people didn't expect that, so it's um, yeah. an embrace of of the past and the present and indigenous and technology. Yeah, but still, it's not a outsider art uh, biennial. No, it's 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 no, you know, young all, young artists all. who you know who are in the middle of you know their art scenes, you know, working successfully, but still, you know, doing doing work. You know, beyond you know, video, etc. So it's really exciting for us. And I think what's also really nice is um, 
that you can, although there is a coherence in the whole biennial, it's um, nice that um, obviously we have a be good connection to Gabi and Kobo, who's a mm -hmm. South African curator. Mm -hmm. and um, So you can see the difference, actually, because I think it's a biennial where you have never been so many artists from Africa mm -hmm. or African perspectives mm -hmm. um, as this one. I mean, talking mm -hmm. about Sao Paulo biennials right mm -hmm. now, I would say that's mm -hmm. um, really nice to see that um, Jochen Foltz was also really open to that input from Gabi and that it's reflected in really interesting positions um, from African perspectives that really fit into the whole concept and so have you really really great installations by artists that were chosen by Gabi like the Neo Bobape or M. Kyle or um, you know Lyle M. Ashton and so there are lots of works um, from these Yeah, Afro perspectives, queer perspectives, some often even both together. That um, yeah, it's nice to see that trace of of uh, her voice also in the whole uh, curatorial concept. So that's obviously specifically for us also very nice to see. My next guest is Jorge Barreto, who's been directing the restaurant project here. If people who are listening and who are not in Miami, <laughs> maybe in Sao Paulo, but yeah. Maybe that wherever doesn't make you sense. are, But wherever, wherever you, you are, are, because um, you were just mentioning the the restaurant, because our issues are being distributed there. So if you oh, will yes. eat there, you know, he built this nice kind of shelf structures, and uh, the magazine is supposed to be there. So very good. You know, What I love about this show is it's really going to be here for a while and it being yes. free to the public. Yes, that's nice. Um, that's really that yeah. A lot of people will be coming through here yeah, and yeah. I've been saying every day, if you're coming to Brazil at all, you you can come and pick up your personal copy of Contemporary yeah, yeah. Anne's latest publication. Yeah, that's There true. he is. The chef has arrived. Wow. Hello. Hi. I'm so sorry I'm late. It's okay, Jorge. I'll say goodbye to Yvette Muntumba and Julia Grossa from Contemporary and thank you so much for joining me today. We're broadcasting live on Jolt Radio and my last guest for the day and for this live broadcast is Jorge Mena Barreto. And he is just so amazing and I've talked about him on every show and now I said I would love to have him come and speak for himself about this amazing project that he has produced for thank this you. exhibition. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's so cool. And uh, uh, Jorge was born in Sao Paulo, and he is based in Rio. Exactly. And his project is called Restauro, or Restauro. Yeah, it would be, uh, in Portuguese, we say Restauro, which restauro. is restoration. Restauro. And uh, it's... Uh, in the in the etymologically it's the, in the base of the restaurant the word restaurant right yes restoration be, to restore yourself as you're eating i suppose right not only yourself but the environment the environment according to you yes exactly. and that's what i love that's what i wanted to talk about and let's find i mean your background uh, you told me when we met the other day a couple of days ago and we recorded then right in the restaurant but today we're recording in this space Uh, with a glass front that's uh, facing one of uh, the ramp that goes up through this beautiful pavilion and just a few steps from the rest Restauro. Okay, How's perfect. That? <laughs> uh, well, tell me your background. Like, what brought you to this place to be directing this amazing culinary feast? Thank you, thank you. Um, well, as a kid, 
I wanted to be a waiter. And uh, I'm, I'm from a family of doctors and lawyers and, you know, these very conventional professions. And, uh, and people would ask me, but what, why would, would you want to be a waiter? And I said, I used to say, because I want to be close to food. And uh, I guess in my idea, the closest I could get to food at that time was being a, was, was being a waiter. And I've always, you know, gravitated around the kitchen and uh, gone into the kitchen. Uh, in Brazil, it's very common for families to have maids. And I'm, I've always been very good friends with the maids in my house. And, you know, uh, I guess it all started there. And, uh, but life took me in a different way, especially because I, I would say that in the 1970s and 80s, to be a cook and to be or uh, to work with food, at least in Brazil, was not considered like a profession uh, that it, it was not so glamorized as it is today, right? Chefs are highly respected as, you know, iconic in some cases. Exactly, yeah. And, and perhaps also uh, maybe in the past, I sort of, uh, through intuition perhaps, I didn't want to be a gastronomer or someone related to food uh, in, its, in a limited uh, way to see it, let's say. So I ended up um, studying art, and, uh, and I studied art all my life, right? I became an artist. I went through uh, all the academic steps of an MFA and a PhD. And studying here in Brazil? Always in Brazil, mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and, and then in my postdoctoral uh, research, I, I did some uh, investigation on the possibility to relate site-specific practices in the arts to agroecology. And that's when I found uh, food, again, under a new light, not uh, thinking of food only in itself, but also as a mediator between uh, our eating habits and environmental impact. So, yes, yeah, so you're raising questions about um, how we develop eating habits and how they, how they impact or could actually influence in a positive way the environment instead of exactly. just eating and trying to eat healthy, but it's, it's a whole different, much bigger, much bigger idea that you have about this, this conceptually. Exactly. I think I think it's it's a matter of scale in a, in a way, uh, and I think that has to do with the, the idea of the name of the project also that we were talking before about restoration. If you think of the word restaurant that comes from restoration, we usually think of the restaurant as a place where you go to recharge your energies or recharge your batteries, right, in an individual scale. And I think the challenge of this project is specifically, specifically is to take this idea of restoration to another scale, right? So that you're not only restoring yourself, but you're restoring the environment. And also think that these things are not detached from another. So how can you restore yourself when you're damaging the forest, for example? In Brazil especially, that uh, the cattle industry and the monocultures are responsible for 90%, 90 is nine zero, right? 90% 90 
of the deforestation in the Amazon. That's a serious number. You were saying that was based on soy, soybean crop and cattle raising. Exactly. And the soybean goes to the cattle, right? So it's all related so it's to all the meat industry and dairy. And we all know Brazil. If I think of Brazil, I didn't know what I was going to eat here. Yeah. Because I'm a vegetarian. Sure. And often a vegan. Yeah. And I was so... Th that's why I've, I'm in love with your project. Thank because you, I found you. food every day. I found something good to eat. Yes, yes. Yeah, Brazil is very meat-oriented, I would say. And uh, so our menu is, because of that, it's uh, plant-based because of the environmental impact of, uh, of the meat, right? It's yeah. plant-based. And we defend the idea that this, the whole project is related to an idea of an environmental sculpture, as we say it, yes. right? Let's describe what agroforestry is, because that's part, of, that's key to your, um, yeah. your project, is how the, how the crops are grown. Exactly, exactly. Um, we have been having, our suppliers are agroforesters, right? Uh, agro, an agroforest, or a food forest, as it's, as it's also called, is a way to uh, to cultivate the land that does not uh, ignore the forest or take or take or bring down the forest, but has a, a way to think of the food production integrated with the diversity of a forest. Right. Um, that was uh, first uh, done by the indigenous people who lived here before uh, the immigrants came. So our modern way of uh, cultivating the soil, which came from Europe, is this what's been happening in the Amazon, right? That you're, you're, you're bringing down the trees in order to come in with soya, for example. In an agroforest, you would uh, plant all the species together and, uh, and uh, the farmer becomes sort of like a sculptor because what he does is to mediate among these species in order to bring light to every one of them. So, for example, what plants will find themselves, what kind of crops will find themselves next to each other? Uh, that's, a, uh, that's a good question because it really depends on where you are. So uh, if you go to a food forest in the north of Brazil, you'll find uh, different kinds of species than in the south. But for example, here in Sao Paulo, the ones we've been working with, you would start uh, an agroforest with uh, pineapple and beans and uh, things that grow closer to the soil, and then, or even the leaves, the green leaves, once you, you, uh, you harvest these, the maniocs and uh, the berries and the ones that are in the middle extract, they start coming. Once you, you're, you're done with this, then you, you have the trees, the avocado trees, and maybe even some trees that are not, that don't produce fruit, but that, ca that can uh, be used for wood. So, uh, it's All of these are on one farm. Exactly. And uh, it's very compact. And, and the funny thing is that in a monoculture, for example, that you plant the soy and that you wait, let's say, I don't know how many months for you, during the plantation and the harvest, there are many months where you're not harvesting anything. 
And in an agroforest, as you plant everything together, you start harvesting in 30 days, the rocola is the one that comes first, and you never stop. There's always something in season. So the numbers are like in a monoculture, you would produce around 17 uh, tons of food per acre. And in an agroforest, you can produce up to 80 tons per acre. So it's even more productive. So more revenue stream coming in from that. Yes. And I understand that uh, because of that, the harvesting you just talked about, every once it starts, you it just keeps going. So it's not just one harvest, it's continual harvest. And the restaurant, the menu changes every day exactly. because of whatever ingredients come into you. Yeah. And what I notice, which I love, and I, I think it's connected with the fact that it's not a monoculture, is the colors mm-hmm. of the food that mm-hmm. that are coming to the table upstairs mm-hmm. are so gorgeous. I mean, every time I photograph and I post it on Instagram, I get all these likes. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Nice, nice. Yeah, it is that, nice. That comes a bit from, uh, it was, I started this uh, postdoctoral research when I found this relation between agroecology and site-specific practices. There's one uh, sentence that I like very much to define the site-specific way of thinking that is by Robert Smithson, the artist, who, uh, when he was writing about the, the spiral jetty, he said, uh, at first, I thought of building an island with the help of barges and, uh, and, uh, and boats. But in the end, I would let the site determine what I would build. That is a paradigm, paradigma, there's a, there's a shift in the way of thinking that it's not the artist that will decide what to do, own the place and the place seen as a mere support for his action but he comes into the place in an uncertain uncertain atmosphere and does an exercise of listening to that place and and then as he perceives the the specificities of the place he comes into a state of collaboration with the place so he's not imposing something anymore but in a dialogical uh, uh, relationship with with place. For me, that's the the basis of the site-specific way of thinking. Right, that you're not ignoring the specificities of the place. We wanted to to to, to shift that a little bit, and uh, and give a, a a new spice to Robert Smithson's uh, sentence uh, in a way that we say that we would like to let the site determine what I would eat. So yes. it's very local, it's very seasonal, and whatever the farmers bring us, that defines our menu. So we don't have like a watermelon dessert that is a year long, that depends on lots of pesticides and heavy machinery and a very strong environmental impact. But we are eating things that nature somehow is, uh, we're, we're trying to, to relearn how to dialogue with these specificities. Right, and we are inside a biennial that has the title, Live Uncertainty, Yes. meaning embrace it. Yes. And I think your kitchen embraces the uncertain future of its deliveries. 
Yes, that's true. That's true. It depends a lot from the team because we we are always we we don't know tomorrow's menu yet. For example, right? That's something I don't know if a lot of chefs would be comfortable with. Yes, no, not at all. And the whole team is adapting to that because many of them are professional cooks. But on the other hand, we are free to uh, to trust our instincts and our ability to read whatever ingredients we have and uh, in a teamwork from from this reading every day the first thing we do in the morning is we have a meeting and see everything that is ripening in the kitchen and we lay out all the ingredients and we have a collective reading of what we have and from there we gradually build up and somehow things have been coming out people have been enjoying it so absolutely and so you're working your team that's cooking there i understood it's a partnership with a is there a cooking school involved exactly there is a an uh we call it eco gastronomy so it's uh it, it it's a, a, a let's say a, a branch of gastronomy that includes all these um They use, for example, we have the mango peels are used to make a vinaigrette, or we also use the the peels of the bananas to make a sweet. Of course, everything is organic, so it's no problem using the the, the, the peels, right? But uh, they say that it's a way to uh, to avoid uh, waste, right? And, uh, and all these things that we didn't know were edible before and that are very good for us and, and, and we're, we are respecting more. We're not um, wasting so much food. Right, everything is used. Yes. Uh, I liked how you described, uh, I was reading a statement about your project and they were talking about the, now that we talk about no waste, the digestive system being a sculptural tool. Exactly. I thought that was kind of odd and interesting, and I don't know how detailed we want it, but the diners are participants. Mm -hmm. So how are the diners participants in a sculptural tool that's based on the digestive system? Yes, well, that's a good good question. Um, The whole idea, I think, is to to rethink also the way we draw our digestive system, right? In this, in school, we learned that the digestive system begins in the mouth and ends in the anus. <laughs> and somehow, we want to expand it. We want to to say that well, the digestive system begins in the in the land, right? Though in the way that the food is produced, it's if it's a system, there's no outside of the system. Things are interrelated. Uh, one of the challenges, I think, of this project is to think of food not as a commodity, to bring down its, um, its value as a commodity. So the, 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 we, we must have a good price, right? We, you pay 12 reais for a, a, an organic uh, dish, which uh, would be what around four dollars which is less than you would pay in a, in a McDonald's for example so we want to bring down its value as a commodity in order to be able to to, to, shed, to shed some light on the other complexities of, uh, of in which the food is involved and this uh, and then we provoke the public to uh, 
to go from the condition of a consumer to a participant in a project. That's the shift. We want people to come in as a consumer and leave as a participant in a, in a larger project in which they participate and they know that what they are uh, eating will affect the environment. By making choices to eat organic food, for example, uh, we're causing less demand for exactly. pesticide-ridden uh, food. Exactly. And by choosing to eat uh, fresh, clean food that's not processed, mm -hmm. likewise, we eliminate less of the demand for canned food. Exactly. How am I doing? Perfect. Did that's I, it. Did, am I, have I become a participant? Yes, you have. Yes, Actually, you have. I, I already am because I eat fresh food all the time, sure. but I love talking to somebody who is in the field of contemporary art and culture and has a conscience that has such a positive uh, potential as a change agent. It's not just about changing a government, it's about changing a way of life mm -hmm. for everyone that's around us and everyone that comes into contact with with Restauro. Yes, yes, you got it. <laughs> I'm really thrilled to have you here with me. Um, Thank I'm you. Kathy Bird with Fresh Art International, and I'm here with Jorge Mena Barreto. Very good. Thank you. The originator of this fabulous food experiment. We are benefiting from the harvest every day of local agroforestry in Brazil, and it's an exquisite experience. If you're coming to Brazil anytime between now and December 11th, come to the Sao Paulo Biennial and experience this fantastic food. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's my pleasure. It's been great to meet you and see you every day and have a new surprise uh, for my eyes and for my body. Thank you. Thank you. Thank it's you for nourishing my artistic experience and helping me uh, restore myself for each broadcast. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. I'm Kathy Bird with the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio Miami. We hope you enjoyed today's conversations from inside the exhibition pavilion of the 32nd Sao Paulo Biennial in Brazil. Today, our guests were sound artist Vivian Kakuri, editors of Contemporary and Yvette Matumba and Julia Grossa, and Jorge Mena Barreto, artistic director of Restauro a culinary experience in agroforestry. Look for our show on joltradio.org, listen to our podcast on freshartinternational.com, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Android. This is Kathy Bird for Fresh Art International.